Good evening and welcome to this episode of Chew the Cud. I'm John Houston, Director of Business Services with Protrition Feed. This week we will be discussing uh, sheep and cuts of meat and those types of things. And I'm certainly glad to introduce to you our guest at this time. Our guest is Dr. Dwight Loveday. Uh, Dwight, it's good to have you here uh, with us today. And and certainly just to give a little bit of uh, background, uh, we go back a long way. And uh, certainly uh, uh, Dr. Loveday was one of my professors many years ago at uh, the University of Tennessee, has recently retired, but has been very active at the University of Tennessee in extension work, uh, also working with 4-H and in particular uh, uh, as a state specialist and also in the classroom and, and very experienced with meat cuts and, and uh, working with uh, meat science and, and uh, we're glad to have you with us. And, and, uh, and, and then adding to that, has always, as long as I can remember, been in the sheep business. So, uh, so you know, you've you've uh, done it from uh, the ground all the way through. So, uh, I'm I'm excited to have you with us. So, let's just get right to it. And and I just wanted to ask, you know, we years and years ago, if you mentioned sheep in Tennessee, there was only one thing that people uh, thought about, and that was wool. You know, nobody thought about sheep as a as a food source, at least in, in our our southeastern uh, culture. So, Dwight, tell me when people say mutton and people say lamb, kind of what that terminology means, because it means something different than to a lot of people than what the actual term represents. That, that's true, and uh, I sort of cringe when I hear the, hear the word mutton because that's been associated with the meat product. But mutton is actually a more mature animal, usually over two years of age, and tends to be stronger flavored. Uh, The fat tends to be more aromatic, which most folks say is not pleasant. And, but lamb has a very delicate aroma, a very delicate flavor. And uh, right now we've noticed a, somewhat of a resurgence in popularity, uh, particularly in the uh, food service industry. Well, so if you drive around, especially in our state right now, uh, Dwight, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, sheep. You'll, you'll see sheep in a lot of places. And when we look at the national statistics for Tennessee, uh, we have a number, but it's probably not right because most of those animals are not reported so as they're right. sold. And, and so we have a lot of growth in, in sheep, in particular the, the meat breeds, and we've migrated over you know, to a lot of the hair-type right. breeds. But, but what, uh, what should people look for when they're looking for meat cuts? You know, we, we say lamb, and you know, people are familiar with leg of lamb or, or whatever, but, but in Tennessee, if you wanted to talk to people about those cuts of meat that are desirable uh, with, with, with lamb, uh, what would that be? Well, uh, we talk about the, know about the beef industry and the box beef industry is it, but that concept is really adaptable to the sheep industry because we're very regionalized in our consumption patterns. And so when you look at the major packers, and they can put a box of shanks together or a box of leg roast, box of chops in the South. We're leg roast and chop eaters. But you go to the West Coast, to the East Coast, and some of the thin cuts, uh, the shanks and such are very popular. So we're able to break that lamb apart and get it to the high demand areas. 
far as selection goes, whether you're talking beef, pork, or lamb, uh, general meat science concepts, color, lean texture, lean firmness, and uh, marbling. And uh, you knew Dr. Melton, my professor, he always talked about marbling being the taste fat and not the waste fat. So uh, we look at the beef industry as a comparison. We're in a quality demand market. And that's led over into the pork and the lamb industry where folks are willing to pay for high quality meat. Sure, absolutely. And so when we, uh, myself being in the sheep business as well, when I take lambs to a graded sale, uh, they, they issue a grade uh, for these for these lambs on, on the hoof based on certain criteria, you know, and external fat being one of those criteria as it's estimated by, by feel and, and, and visual as well. Uh, and certainly when those graders do that enough, they get fairly accurate. Uh, but as it relates to meat quality, uh, and we're talking about, you know, uh, a graded sale, they grading them good, choice, prime, uh, Kind of talk a little bit about how that might translate into a quality piece of meat. Well, I think what we see in lots of our graded sales, sale barns and such, is uh, potential. Those, uh, particularly if they're lighter weight lambs that are going to go on into a feedlot, they have the potential to be a choice or be a prime. Uh, but when a lot of them look at them at a more mature slaughter weight, they're probably more related to to cutability than they are quality because of looking at lean to bone ratio. And confirmation is one of the grade standards in the USDA lamb grading. So even though that's a more of an indicator of lean to bone, it is one of the grade standards. Right. So as we think about yield, Dwight, let's, let's talk about someone that would have four or five lambs that they take to the slaughter facility and what they could expect to get back. Because I think some, sometimes we have a different perspective, especially if you're thinking about cattle and some things, we have a different perspective with maybe a hundred pound lamb. So. Yeah, with direct marketing, we're seeing a lot more interest in making those uh, uh, purchases from the producer and uh, taking them in uh, to be processed. Uh, when we look at a lamb being a small ruminant, that rumen, that stomach, the digestive system is relatively large to the animal size. And right off the bat, when we harvest that animal, we lose the hide, the head, the internal organs. Uh, we're down to 50 to 55 percent and uh, right off the bat. Now, the things that's going to influence what you or I might take home will be uh, several factors. One is the fatness of the lamb. Uh, fat that has to be trimmed away doesn't end up in a package and therefore lowers your percentage. Uh, your cutting style, if you like boneless roast versus bone-in roast, or you have certain cuts like the breast that's boned out for stew meat uh, versus leaving the ribs intact and making like a baby back rib. We call it a Denver rib at the lamb industry. Then that weight of that bone staying in that cut increases your yield. So lots of variables that go in there, but uh, whether you got stew meat or extra ground meat, uh, I had a lady that uh, wanted the whole lamb 
ground into ground lamb. And I just couldn't bring myself to do that with a with the chops. And I talked her out of that. But if when you do that, if you take the roast and the uh, the big muscles and grind them all, your yields are not going to be. Uh, you can put it all in one grocery sack. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so when you know, I am uh, certainly uh, very. Uh, interested in lamb meat. I, I, you can tell them, look at me and tell I don't call much to eat, but especially lamb. So how do we uh, uh, get more people eating lamb? It se- seems to be growing, uh, but just like the question we started with, a lot of people equate you know mutton and lamb, and it's really two different things. But talk about you know some of the recipes that are available. I know through extensions done a lot of work and have recipes out there uh, for and, and the way to prepare this lamb makes a big the way we prepare it makes a big difference. And so, well, actually, any meat proper preparation is uh, very key. Good cookery methods, and uh, you looking back at mutton, we're, that's sort of a generational deal. It was associated with war times and all this, right. and so that generation is leaving. And so uh, folks trying it. We have some very good recipes out there. Uh, The American Sheep Industry Association, the Lamb Board, you can go to their website and just look at recipes to your heart content. Uh, Some of our major packers like Superior Lamb, uh, they have a recipe section. And they, most of them are broken down by the type of cut. So if you wanted a leg roast or you wanted to do chops or popular item is kebabs. Um, uh, growing up, you know, at our sheep, 4-H sheep conference, we used to have lamb kebabs. And, uh, Absolutely. Uh, an old, old recipe I got out of the Kansas Department of Agriculture. And, and I've used that recipe from 4-H camp to served it at... Uh, Nayland Stadium in the press room with beef kebab. So, uh, but meat, the lamb is very, like I said, a delicate flavor. And we want to be able to pick it up. We don't want to smother it. And I think a lot of folks, when they think of lamb, uh, I don't know how to cook it. And I tell folks, cook it just like any other meat, particularly on the grill, your basic salt, pepper, seasoning salt. But main thing is on chops is not to overcook. I think that's the biggest problem we have with lamb is folks that like it well done will probably not be real happy. And that medium rare is probably the most ideal to maximize flavor and juiciness. And once you get into that well done, I think lamb sort of deteriorates. (laughs) Well, along with all the others. (laughs) Well, you know, of course, I certainly any kind of meat. I'm I don't like it well done or overdone, but but certainly with lamb, I would I would agree with you as well. And and so I want to shift gears on you just a little bit Uh-oh. here. And uh, so I want to go go through some of you. You've had such tremendous influence in the 4-H livestock projects, and and it's in particular uh, over the years working with skillathons and 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 you know. In, in particular, and, and how uh, in the show ring, what we're really trying to teach kids, it's not, 
all about the blue ribbon. It's not all about, you know, yeah. we, we like to see all of us, doesn't matter what kind of animal we're looking for a livestock person, we like to see good ones, you know, we, we enjoy seeing good livestock. But beyond that, from, from a 4-H standpoint, um, I'm a product of that. Of, of that. Um, what, what would you say uh, that showing livestock, what our goal is as as 4-H uh, UT Extension, um, what's our overall goal in these livestock pro projects? Well, it's youth development. And I think our uh, friend Jim Neal had the phrase, we're in raising blue ribbon kids and, as well as blue ribbon animals. And uh, like you, I was a product of 4-H livestock. Uh, you said you knew me having sheep all my life. But I grew up on a livestock uh, farm that was fed cattle and purebred swine. And uh, we'd go to the fair to show pigs. I made fun of the folks that had sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, things come back to haunt you, you know. But, uh, but we moved back here where I was on, from Nebraska, where I was on staff at the University of Nebraska. The sheep program in Tennessee, 4-H sheep program, was booming. And I wanted my kids to have that 4-H livestock experience because of those intangible uh, life skills that you just don't pick up in, in a classroom without being involved. And uh, so our sheep are, is a result of a 4-H project and having two children come through that. So uh, Andy and uh, Sarah Beth, uh, both participated, and this weekend, my grandson's going to show for the first awesome. time. So it's continuing on. But I think uh, with all these youth programs, the number one thing a, a young person will tell you is the, the friendships. And we travel the state. Uh, we know young people, parents from one end of the state to the other. And now with things being more fluid, we got friends in other parts of the country. And that connection has been that livestock project. And uh, I'm particularly proud of the Skillathon program, what it's done. And uh, we're seeing those first team, state teams that we had come back now. They're in graduate school or have professional agriculture, uh, med schools, uh, teachers just fitting into society and fulfilling that individual role of being a good uh, member of society. You know, and that's, I can't put my finger on it, Dwight, but I can pick out someone about anywhere that was involved in, in showing livestock of any kind. They're, that, they're just a different. Uh, perspective, the way they carry themselves, uh, the way they approach people, and the way they do things. And we've been so fortunate in Tennessee that we've had a strong 4-H program, right. and, and FFA for that matter as well, and, and we've had a very strong agriculture uh, in Tennessee, at which uh, all the entities have worked together to make it strong, and University of Tennessee being one of those entities, uh, Tennessee Farm Bureau, Tennessee Department of Agriculture, obviously Tennessee Farmers mm -hmm. Co-op, have all worked hard to uh, ensure that these opportunities exist 
for our kids coming up to show in the, and to be involved in these livestock projects. But because our Tennessee agriculture is so connected, um, and I've been across the country and in different parts, and you have too, uh, where that connection doesn't exist. Right. But, but our Tennessee agriculture has been so connected that we've been fortunate enough to uh, have have gone through the 4-H program or the FFA program, gone through college, and to be able to continue to work and interact with right. those same people. Uh, I could use my boss as, as an example that, uh, you know, we... Uh, competed in FFA and 4-H and then went to college together and started at the co-op together. And so, you know, we've been able to uh, use those livestock projects to later on uh, interact with one another in business and industry. So uh, and our careers. And, you know, there there have been uh, so many at the University of Tennessee that, that have been instrumental. Uh, I count you among those. And in, in developing that program over the years, and now with our master beef programs and, and, and master uh, sheep producer and, and uh, the equine programs and all of those things have come on from an educational standpoint, it just gets stronger and stronger. Uh, and so uh, there's been so many over the last you know, 30, 40 years that, that have really been instrumental in doing that. So I wanted to mention uh, the 4-H program uh, as well. Well, I agree with you. I've had the opportunity to work in other states and participate in other 4-H. And uh, just always say, there's something special about Tennessee 4-H. And uh, right uh, into my career, you know, I served as interim director. And one of the things I always said was 4-H is a team sport. And, you know, starting with our 4-H uh, agents in the county, uh, the parents, and then uh, uh, the state specialists, uh, our donors, the, you know, the co-op, the folks you mentioned, the co-op and the Farm Bureau, the TDA, uh, we're just there to prop each other up. And it's very reflective in the strength of the Tennessee 4-H program. And, and you know, I, I take that a step further. That's where it all started with the leadership in all of these organizations that are donors and participants and encouragers. All of us were products of that of that program. Right. And so there's others coming on behind all of us that were products of that program. So as we think about uh, that and, and winding this segment up, I just wanted to ask you about uh, back to the back to the sheep business. We talk about marketing just a minute. Um, I know from uh, there's a lot of people, as you mentioned, that are marketing uh, these lambs right off of the farm. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also the graded sales that that we that we mentioned. Uh, but uh, as we've talked a lot about meat and a lot about, but I wanted to mention one thing. I mentioned it in a in a past video, but you've been very instrumental in this project as well, and that's the wool pool. And so I wanted to mention that and, and, uh, and just have you talk just a little bit about that. I know there's maybe some needs that you're looking right. at right now and to mention that on this video and, and, and talk just a little bit about that because that's been a, a very uh, important part of our Tennessee agriculture. And as I think I'm right about this, it's the oldest wool pool in, in, in the country. That's true. I, I was shocked to read that, but, uh, 
uh, uh, Middle Tennessee in particular, historically, is very strong in the sheep industry. Then it waned out. And you go back and look at uh, uh, particularly the Lebanon area. It was very uh, hotbed for Tennessee sheep production. And out of that, we've had the wool pool. Of course, back in those days, all the sheep were wool sheep. And our, as you mentioned, our growth has been primarily in the hair sheep business. But we still have a need to get rid of that wool and try to market a, it's a, you know, a renewable resource. And um, there's new ideas about how to utilize wool other than the fabric. And the fabric itself has changed. I don't know, growing up, played Little League Baseball, we had wool uniforms. And in, <laughs> in July, you didn't want to wear those. But uh, I have a new wool suit. That's, uh, the fabric is so comfortable. It's not our grandfather's wool, you know. Uh, but the way Tennessee producers have marketed is called the wool pool. And we've had two collection points, one in Columbia and one in East Tennessee, either Maryville, Jefferson City, uh, partnered with co-op, both places there. And uh, what we do is sort of like a, the old feeder pig sale or you bring in your uh, products, they get graded, combined together, and then they're packaged in a, by a baler. And uh, they're bid off and the company sends a truck to pick them up. Uh, COVID uh, put a stop to the wool pool, but uh, we had two balers and they've become in disrepair. We've been trying to replace those. Uh, I've been working on that. We've had them over 35 years and we bought them used. (laughs) So uh, right now they're in a machine shop. We're looking at them, but we've had had some uh, grant money through some of our partners uh, TDA, Farm Bureau, and such. And uh, uh, we are working on uh, rejuvenating that project, getting our balers back on the go or purchasing a new baler um, with supplies and such. We've not been able to find anybody to build us one. I had a call last week. Guy said, hey, I understand you're looking for a baler, so I'll be willing to make you one. So things are loosening up. I hope we're getting moved on that. But with the cost of metal and such, uh, it's way above what our projection was. But we have been able, through the Ag Enterprise Fund, purchase a, a trailer, especially built to be high enough to get balers in there mm-hmm. so that we hopefully can transport them to more locations in the state and be able to do a better job of marketing our wool. Well, that's just a, an awesome service for sheep producers. Mm-hmm. And I know there's still a lot of wool breeds out there, and and we certainly wanted to make mention uh, of that. Uh, and it is an, an outstanding service that's provided for uh, sheep producers who have wool breeds. Right. So as we come to close, Dr. Loveday, it's been a pleasure having you uh, on our segment, uh, I certainly appreciate you making the trip down to Laverne. I know you said it's your first trip, first <laughs> trip down here, uh, but uh, you you kind of have to be going to Laverne to get here from Maryville. But mm-hmm. I thank you for coming and being our guest today, and all the information that you that you've shared. Uh, tell our audience if you have further questions about uh, sheep production or needs for your sheep, contact your local farmers co-op. Thank you, and have a great evening.